spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit score grows, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Aaron Goff, owner of Goff Custom Knives, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Frank, from the Frank Brothers Guitar Company. How are you, mate? I'm well. How's it going, buddy? Going good. I'm excited because coming up at in just a couple of weeks now is CMTS, yes. the Canadian Manufacturing and Technology Show. Um, so you and I are going to CMTS together on Monday, the 4th of October. So if anyone listening would like to join us, hit me up in the DMs on Instagram or send me an email, send me a telegram, whatever you want to do. Uh, and we will go hang out and look at some awesome, cool machines. I'm so stoked. Yeah, it's going to be fun. There's some stuff I really want to check out that I can't afford. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I kick. <laughs> Kick the tires on some really fancy shit that I have no need for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, How's everything else going, man? Good. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's um, we got a new employee starting in October. Oh, so we, we just have been going through the whole hiring process, which, you know, is always interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Any highlights? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You know, I'm not going to, like, disparage anybody, but you do get, like people who just ask dumb questions or like really fuck up mm. like one little thing that's like how hard was that like don't ask me where like how to apply like it's in the job where where you know like right if you i take I, I did this i was like okay if somebody's interested in a job with us how do you find out about it google frank brothers hiring or guitar mm. to you know guitar job toronto like there was it, i did it like 10 different ways and it was popping up super quick yeah and if someone can't find that out for themselves or doesn't have the motivation to find it out for themselves it's not a good sign for their like commitment to independent learning yes well i was listening to um with intolerance podcast great mm. po podcast you were on it mm -hmm. i was and um uh, one of the people being interviewed said that they intentionally didn't put their contact information on the job listing it was just like a simple little test. <laughs> if you can't figure yeah. out how to get in touch with me about this, then I like it. You're done. <laughs> um, so right. I mean, it was just uh, stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, I would interviewed someone really 
good candidate. And then at the end, they were like, uh, so I can only work part time. I'm like, well, this is a full time job. That was a 30 minute interview. <laughs> right. So, so what is this new person going to be doing? Uh, they're going to be doing setup and assembly of the actual finished guitar. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so they're, a, they're coming in with some skills then. Yes. So we were looking for somebody with experience. And that was the other thing. You get a lot of candidates who are like, I would love to learn how to do this, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's great. It's not what we were looking for. So we actually ended up hiring yeah. somebody from Ca- who's going to move here from Calgary. Oh, wow. Which is interesting. I've, you know, this is a weird thing that, you know, I've, I've heard other business owners talk about. Like, you get a, a great candidate, but they have to move for the position. It's a bit scary to have someone do that. Yeah, because then if they're like, shit, yeah. and you have to fire them, yeah, no, you, you feel know. extra bad. Yeah. So it's a little scary, but I think, you know, hopefully we've done a good job in vetting this person and mm-hmm. their qualifications are very well aligned. So it's not like, you know, I think we can get this person can hit the ground running. So did they come to Toronto for the interview or? No. I mean, we didn't, inter- we haven't interviewed anybody in person. Right. We didn't interview in person for the last job we hired for, which worked out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I would like to, but you know, pandemic. Yeah. Stuff like fair. that. And, I'm in this guy was in Calgary. <laughs> yep. So crazy. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited. And it's the, our goal is to get Tim, um, to sort of fire Tim from that job and get him focused on, uh, sales, marketing, general business management, stuff like that. He's still going to do like some high level finish stuff like spraying, right. spraying color and, and scraping binding and things like that, that are sort of some hallmark stuff for us. Um, but, uh, it's a little scary to hand over any task. This is a particularly like, uh, important task, Yeah, but it's also the kind of task that, you know, somebody with experience in this could do, can do really well. You know, somebody who like a guitar maker, that's who we ended up hiring or somebody who like, you know, does repair, set up, set up, set like a guitar store or, or touring bands. So it was. It seemed like almost the easiest thing to hire for because it's a niche thing that there are that people are specifically uh, trained in. Right. Gotcha. Interesting. So is um, so for people that don't know, Tim is Nick's twin brother. They started the company together, and yeah, Tim's always been like the the finish guy, the setup guy. Is he excited to get away from that? Or I think. He... I mean, I think so. I think he's excited to focus himself like uh, on the you know working on the business we're not working in the business right uh and that's just key to growth we can't we can't hold on to these tasks forever and we were really slow to give some of them up in the first place like even with the the jobs we have people doing right now right um we we used to do every single little thing oh yeah i know that feeling and, yeah and every single little thing is super important yeah so yeah. it's hard to give give these things up. So we kind of just have to, um, you know, fight that urge, <laughs> resist that urge to to hold on right. to, to it. Um, right. And yeah, so it, it's a it's a step in the right direction for the business. And the, the, like we're just the other stuff is what's killing us. You know, we can get right. You know, Tim's really good at assembling guitars, but the the other parts of the business are suffering. So. 
we tried hiring for that, and that was the last guy we hired who we mm, let go. Okay. You tried hiring like a business person. Kind of, yeah. Somebody to do sales and stuff. And it's right. People want to talk to us, like one of one of the Frank brothers when they're buying a Frank brother's guitar. Right. Right, right, right. Uh anyways, yeah, there was that. And then um we're just in crunch mode where we're you know, our fiscal year is ends in like November. So mm, okay. that comes fast and there's a lot to do <laughs> in advance of that, like getting a lot yep. of guitars out the door. Um yeah, I'm actually facing the same thing because I told, so my mortgage broker got me, you know, approved for X amount of dollars for my mortgage yeah. contingent on a stated income of X, yeah. you know, and I had to provide a whole bunch of like documentation to support that and so on. But now because I didn't go ahead with, with well, because you didn't buy that place, I still want to keep that approval for that amount of money. And that means that I have to earn what I told the bank I was going to uh-huh. Yeah. Which was a little aggressive. Let's be clear. <laughs> You're setting goals. So, yeah. So now I've got to push. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's probably motivating. Motivating and stressful. Yeah. Yes. But I am making, um, I've been making some big changes over the last couple of weeks. So um, I spent a little bit of time early this week making all new fixtures for machining the handle scales. Um, cool. And those are all on my other CNC machine on Milli. Yes. So, so yeah, all so now metal machining do... is on um, Vicky. Vicky, which yep. is the enclosed machine. That's correct. Uh, and then all your what else other than handle scales would you do on that machine? Oh, foam. You do foam? Uh, no, not foam. I have all my packaging water jet right. cut. So, um, yeah. So it would be. Uh, plastic for sheaths. Right. Um, it would be stock preparation for G10. It would be handle scales for G10. For uh, G10 for handle scales, I should say. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's already been paying dividends. Like, you know, today I was machining blades and machining handle scales at the same time, yeah. which is exciting. So, yeah, it would be nice to be doing that in an enclosed machine. I'm a little paranoid about the dust from that shit. Right. Um, but... I do have like a 250 CFM uh, like HEPA certified dust collector plumbed onto that machine right right to like the, the nose of the spindle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have two air cleaners in my shop that are 1,000 CFM each, both with HEPA filters. So I'm changing the complete air in the shop every three minutes. Yeah, wow. Okay, that's good. I, I saw those. They, they look yeah. pretty serious. With good yes, filters. They are. Yes, I think I need to replace the filters actually. But yeah, like, you know, all of that shit in the filters is uh, shit that's not in my lungs. So, which that's is good. good. Yeah. Yeah. No one likes shit in their lungs. I mean, the lungs are the body's filters. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Um, one of the other random things that I, I did was uh, I, I kind of hate vacuuming like the hard milling chips off my fixtures it's super annoying oh you vacuum oh yeah they're so fine yeah if you hit them them with an air blast you just blow them straight up into the tool changer and stuff Mm -hmm. um so i thought i would try a chip fan i don't know if you've seen yes yeah yeah so for anyone that hasn't seen one they're super cool it looks like a little aircraft propeller except each blade is kind of sprung it has like a pivot and a spring so when it's not spinning they they hang straight down to make the fan you know only two inches in diameter. But then when you spin it up, 
it expands and it becomes like 10 or 12 inches in diameter. Um, oh, is and it, it actually big? mounts in a tool holder. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty big. Um, and it actually mounts in a tool holder. So the spindle is what runs it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it's been working super well. It doesn't blow any chips uh, into the tool changer. It gets even big kind of chunks of, of steel, blows them off the table. What RPM are you spinning it at? 4,000. Is that the max that you can? It says on the box that it's rated for 15,000 RPM. Oh. But this was a fifteen, oh, sorry, $50 like AliExpress special or Amazon special. So... Mm, I don't know if I want to spin that thing at fifteen thousand RPM. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, th- you that can, being said, you can buy like um, like pretty serious ones. Like Big Kaiser makes. Yes. One. Yes, they're like the original kind of. They they bought um. They oh, bought the rice for that off my Lang air compressor. Oh, it was a Lang thing, eh? Yeah, I I, th- I believe so at least, and yeah, those are really expensive. Though. They're like five hundred bucks US for a fan, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know, but like this thing's made really nicely, like anodized aluminum body. All of the fan blades are fiberglass reinforced nylon, like wow. injected not injection molded. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it lasts me an extremely long time. So yeah, it was. It's been working really well so far. Yeah, that rules. Um, I'd be curious, like how that would work for us. I mean, it would definitely blow some wood chips, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of don't want to get them in the air. I Once think they're settled, but we should be vacuuming them, vacuuming them up. Yeah. But that I is think a you guys would be a lot better. Yeah. You guys would probably be a lot better served by dust collection. Of some yes. Kind. So I did, Actually, I so have hooked up um, some dust collection to this, but it's not that good yet. Right. So there's a really cool dude by the name of Werner Berry, and he runs a YouTube channel and a company called BerryBot3D. And he, he does a lot of really awesome stuff. He's been um, working on a machine-tended Tormac CNC mill. So he has a, a, a part that he makes like thousands and thousands of every year. It's like a, an electronics bus bar made out of plastic. And so he's actually like evolved that process to the point where it's like fully machine tended it runs 24 hour de- as a day cool. like unattended wow. yeah it's super cool um and for for that application he has to make sure that there are no chips flying around because otherwise there might be chips in the way when the robot's trying to you know put the new part the new stock in place that kind of mm-hmm. stuff so he actually came out with this really clever idea basically you have uh you install like a vertical rail next to the z-axis of your milling machine um and you have a um like a dust shoe i don't know if you've seen like a dust shoe on a cnc router it has like um brushes that go around the spindle yeah so the idea is that the the dust shoe is mounted to the track and it's perfectly in line with the spindle but it's spring-loaded and it only goes up to a certain amount you know say 12 inches off the table and then above that the spindle keeps going and separates from the dust shoe. So you do your tool changes above the dust shoe. And then whenever you're moving the spindle down toward the table, it, it kind of collects the dust shoe on the way. And then <laughs> the dust shoe moves with the spindle. Um, and he gets like literally zero chips, uh, you know, outside of the system. Um, that might be something that would work really well for you. Um, that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, I've been racking my brain cause I, I saw your setup, which I thought was clever. 
Yeah, so mine's just like uh, um, the company Lockline that make those little blue kind of bendy coolant tubes. They make big ass ones for vacuum, and mine is kind of based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I looked into that, but yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, a solution that would be more active and less passive, you know. So, what do I mean by that, like just pointing a nozzle at one section of the the um we make a lot of a lot of wood dust and wood chips yeah just pointing it at one section you know if we're like sometimes the the chips are flying to the you know left of the spindle and sometimes they're flying to the right of the spindle depending on what yeah yeah you know how we're cutting um so i feel like it would only be it would only solve you know half of the problem and yes yeah and for me that's absolutely the case like there are a lot of big chips that escape um in my case i'm really concerned about the fine dust and true that, that, is a bigger that problem, nozzle yeah. does a very good job of collecting the fine dust and then the heavy chips that have enough mass to kind of keep going against the airflow they get thrown away you know right like they and then i can just vacuum them up later or whatever yeah that's a fair point yeah um, but that spindle, sh- that moving spindle shroud, like the the spindle dust shoe that um, that Werner made, that thing it looks amazing. And I'm, I'm, look I'm yeah, I'm thinking more about making one. Yeah, because um, really, the biggest problem with with my nozzle system and the reason it's not more effective is that I have to keep it far enough away from the spindle to allow tool changes to happen. Because yes. it moves with the spindle all the time. Right. If it wasn't for that limitation, I could have it a lot closer. It would do a much better job of of collecting dust. You know. So that's a it's a really good idea. I'm trying to think of how we could do something similar. Does it go? Does it surround the spindle 360 degrees once it comes down? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking. Um, you know. So if you needed to, you could have like a little slot left in it so that your um, air blast could could poke through or, or whatever. But like. Yeah, it, it it's a super good idea. It, it, very very clever. Yeah, yeah, I know because there's a lot. Of, there's not a lot of he room also, on this machine, you know, because the the side mount tool changer and the uh, air blast, and then the coolant ring kind of gets mm-hmm. in the way as well. Not that we need. Yeah, that. and then you could always take the coolant ring off. Yeah, but yeah, my cat is yeah, singing yeah. me a song. Um, so uh, one other really cool thing it actually relates. We got a uh, a listener. Let me see if I wrote their name down. Uh, of course I didn't. Um, <laughs> we had a listener write in and say that uh, I should be having a look at Bax EDM. Um, so I'm just going to find the the person that sent this. So Bax EDM is this guy from the UK that decided he wanted to make a DIY. Um, wire EDM. Um, and so he designed like the spark generator and everything to make that possible. And the spark generator is by far the most complicated part. It's like the part that controls the electrical discharge in the electrical discharge machining system. Um, and Werner Berry, the same guy we were just talking about, built from the ground up a completely custom wire EDM oh, that wow. works beautifully like he's cutting carbide with it he's cutting tool steels like it, it's it's pretty crazy so sorry is this a kit no it's so you buy the spark generator as a standalone unit it's like literally like a rack mount 
um, unit that will talk to like a, a CNC control. Okay. And then you have to build the rest of the, the system yourself. Holy shit. Like all the wire tensioning, all that kind of stuff. I think they have, I think BackCDM have like plans um, to like help you out with it. Um, but uh, yeah. So the, the listener that wrote in to, to tell us about this was uh, Custom Caffeine on Instagram. So, and he makes some super cool um, coffee machine parts and upgrade stuff. Oh, so go check him out. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, it's, I love the idea of this kind of stuff where like the spark generator is where all the magic is in a, in a, an EDM machine. So being able to just buy one and then build your own custom machine around it is really cool. Yeah, this is crazy. That'd be a lot. I mean, um, what, what else would go into this? Now, now you just need the linear motion. Yeah. Linear rails, ball screws, the wire feed me- mechanism, all the tensioning stuff. And then the actual CNC controller itself and the motion control. Um, so, I mean, you'd probably be looking at like still, you know, 18 or 20 grand to mm-hmm. build one. But I've been talking to, you know, companies like salespeople about wire EDM, and you're not getting into a new wire EDM for less than 100 grand. Right. So it's a big difference. It is. Yeah. The, honestly, the one thing that stops me from doing it is that for wire EDM to be really useful for me, I need automatic threading, mm. which is where it actually like takes the wire, cuts it, threads it through an existing hole in your workpiece, and then can start cutting all by itself. Um, How the and... hell does that happen? How do they do that? <laughs> it's actually really cool. They um, So they anneal the wire by passing a current through it to heat it up and then cool it to... I believe basically just to make it kind of softer in that one section. Um, and then they, they cut the wire actually by like stretching it um, rather than like snipping it. Cause when you snip it, you make a little burr on the end and it's going to mm. be wider than the wire itself is. So they, they either snip it and then shape the end or they actually like stretch it to make it um, break. And before it breaks, it necks. So it actually gets thinner and right. then, they turn on the high pressure water jet and they use the water jet to guide the wire through the, through the hole right. and down into the lower guide of the, the system. Um, and yeah, the reason that they have to make sure that the wire doesn't get any bigger is because the, the wire guides that, that, you know, hold the wire in place are incredibly tight tolerance relative to the wire hmm. um, to make sure that the wire can't move around. Right. And yeah, like the, the tension on the wire is like, guitar string level tension crazy like you know a high e is kind of like the same kind of the same ballpark thickness and tension as like the wire in a wire edm yeah pretty nice like 10 thou yeah exactly yeah 10 to 12 thou is like the most common wire size i think so So, you still are interested in buying one (laughs) or are you gonna make so i don't well, I don't know whether we talked about this or not, but so I have been working on the fixtures for the kitchen knife, which was, you know, so basically my motivation for wanting a wire DM was to be able to take a rectangle of hardened steel, put it in the CNC mill, machine one whole side, flip it, machine the other side, like do all the 3D contouring and everything, but not cut it out and then put it into the wire DM and, and cut it out. Yeah. And that means I'd be able to have really simple fixtures, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it'd be like two and a half, three operations basically, right? 
Um, I've actually managed to work out how to get the same results. I mean, not quite as good as Wireadio in terms of accuracy, but more than good enough, I think, for my purposes, in just two operations on the mill. Oh, well, that yeah. sounds like a, a home run. How'd you do yeah, that? Yeah, I've been really pleased with how it's been working out, actually. So we talked a couple of episodes about um, the first operation is just I'm literally like using tape and super glue yeah. to like hold hold the part. And then I'm hard milling this this chunk of steel that's held down with tape and super glue, which is, it boggles my mind that that works, <laughs> but it has been completely reliable, um, which is bonkers. And then uh, in that first operation, after I'd done all the 3D contouring, I machined a series of bolt holes around the edges of the, the knife, and then uh, a pair of locating holes. So I flip it onto the second operation, which has some dowel pins for location, and then I bolt it down. There are a whole bunch of bolts. Um, and then basically in the tang of the knife, in the handle of the knife, there on the underside, there are actually some flats that I machine in the first operation that sit on these posts that are part of the fixture. Mm-hmm. And they like line up, you know, within a thousandth. They're literally like, you know, a light contact fit. And then I actually machine through from the top in the second operation in those locations to make bolt holes and flats for bolt heads. And I bolt down through the handle after a bunch of the other machining is done. Mm-hmm. And okay. also when I'm putting the blade down in op two, I just put a little bit of uh, hot glue underneath the blade. Right. And then by changing the sequence of operations. So what I do is I machine the profile of the blade. I machine like the handle and the spine, but I don't cut the edge. So the edge is really important in terms of thickness and shape, but not at all important in terms of surface finish. Right. That makes sense because I'm just going to sharpen it. Yeah. Yeah. So I cut the edge last, and that means the edge provides support for the whole length of the blade while I'm machining the spine. And then I do a bunch of passes back and forth along the spine um, with a little tool going in a ramp to to kind of machine that whole... um, the whole profile of the knife out. And then after I've done all that, I just do a single pass along the edge, cut it out and it's done. Okay. And it's bonkers how well it works, honestly. Well, that's great. Yeah. So I, maybe I don't need to worry. So now you can get a, a new mill (laughs) (laughs) at, uh, CMTS. Maybe. Yes. I will be definitely looking at, uh, Okuma while I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, the biggest motivation for the wire EDN, you know, with that stated use case is that it would have really drastically changed my abilities. Um, But now I'm getting that without it. So, yeah, I don't know. Right. Well, so something with better surface finishing would be the next thing to tackle. Yes, and obviously, like, a new machine is shiny and everyone wants one, mm-hmm. um, but the price tag that it comes with is, is pretty bonkers as well. Like, the yeah. the Okuma Generous M560V, which is probably where I'd end up, it's either that or, like, a Haas VM series. Yeah. So the Okuma is, like, 130K US, and the Haas VM series are, like, 85, 90 90-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's a lot of money. Um there is a company in the States called Calmotion 
which is one of a couple of companies that make retrofit controls for the Fidal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been talking to those guys, and it's been really interesting, actually. So basically, the control retrofit that they sell is literally a five-minute job. Like, it just, you pull out the old control cards, you slot in the new ones, and that's it. Cool. Like, it just works. You go through and set up the parameters, like, tell it what size machine it is and what spindle speed you have, and you're done. It's it's pretty bonkers. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. My dad's <laughs> losing his mind over here. And they uh, have a money-back guarantee if you don't see the results you want. So they've said, if I don't get the surface finish improvements I'm looking for, I just send the control back. Okay. No big deal. Um, and that control upgrade actually increases the resolution of DC servo fidals by double. That sounds good. Yeah. So, and it has like the original fidal control doesn't have any like acceleration or deceleration or ramping control. It just sends it, you know, (laughs) sorry, I'm just letting my cat out here. Okay, buddy, go on. Sounds like your cat lost his parameters. Yeah, seriously. Um, he's a noisy boy. He's a big boy too. He's like 20, 20 something pounds. Oh, that's a that's how much my child weighs. <laughs> yeah, he's a big cat. He's not fat though. He's just giant. He's just a super muscly? A breed of cat called. Yeah, he's a breed of cat called a Maine Coon, and uh, the biggest examples of those guys uh, grow up to like forty eight inches from nose to tail. Oh my god! Sounds scary. Nah, he's he's pretty cool. When he lies down in the bathtub, though, he takes up more than two thirds of the bathtub, like in length. Oh my god! Yeah, he's a he's a big boy. Um, uh, link to so a photo to of your big cat in the show notes. <laughs> well, if you go on on the xyz.cnc Instagram, the very first post that I ever put on there is my cat sitting in my three D printer. <laughs> so you printed this cat. So if you haven't seen that. Yeah, I printed him. He's he's the best print of all time. Um, yeah. So this retrofit control, like, so kind of sounds like it might be a good idea. Is it expensive? It is uh, eight grand US. Okay, so not cheap, but not crazy. Not crazy. And, I mean, you know, a lot like cheaper that's... than ten times that for a new Haas. Yes, and like I don't really need new Haas performance or new Okuma performance. I just need like 10, 20% better than what I've got now in terms of surface. Well, you, I mean, I saw the surface finish on your knives. It's, it's quite good except for in this one little spot. I think. Yeah. It's just, so basically to explain to everybody else what's happening, I'm 3d contouring the bevels of my blades and I'm doing that with a parallel toolpath. So it's just, going back and forth across the blades from spine to edge and edge to spine, Um, you know, stepping over, I think it's like three thousandths at a time, going back and forth. And that looks amazing in the section of the blade that has a straight edge where the bevel is flat. It's like perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I could, you know, if I shipped a knife straight to a customer with that finish, they'd be like, oh, this has obviously come off a machine, but it's nice, you know. The problem is when the bevel starts to curve down toward the tip because... Because it comes to a point the, at the tip. Yeah, you know, it has to curve along with the edge that's curving upward, you know, in order to give that that kind of taper. Um, 
and when the machine is interpolating the passes for the, you know that are kind of gently lowering down toward the tip it almost gets like stair steps you know it it can't quite make a perfectly smooth curve mm-hmm. instead it's kind of stepping stepping down and unfortunately that is like it's visible um and you know if i like sandblast the the knife it's still visible if i you know go to hand finish then those little kind of stair steps are like ridges that i have to get rid of so that is actually something that drives a lot of manual labor in my process Mm -hmm. you know i wouldn't have to hand sand the blades if that didn't happen seems like an important thing to to tackle do you see it and i've been trying to tackle it for years do you see it in the machine uh, like, do you, do you see the machine struggling in that area differently? Like, no, not at all. And because it's, I don't think it's really struggling. It's just that it doesn't have the resolution to properly, um, make that smooth, you know? So the Fidals that, so the Fidals that I have, I have two, uh, basically BMC 15s, which have, they actually don't have encoders like a modern digital servo would have. They have what are called resolvers instead, which is basically like a tiny little three-phase motor that's attached to your servo and you feed an AC sine wave into it and then it returns a different AC sine wave. And the CNC control uses the difference between those sine waves to work out how much the servo motor has um, turned. So this is a crazy analog system that they used to use, you know, back in the days of like punch cards and stuff. Um, And it just kind of came forward with these um, DC uh, fidals. When I say DC, I'm referring to the fact that the servos are brushed DC servos rather than like modern brushless AC servos. Um, And the problem is that like those, the old school computer that's in the Fidal, like, you know, your cell phone has like hundreds at possibly, well, definitely thousands of times of computing power of this, the like computers in the Fidal. Like, right. It's crazy how much more powerful this shit is. And also one of the other things that's changed is the resolution of analog to digital converters. You know, so you're literally taking a, a sine wave that's coming out of these resolvers, kind of like, um, like an audio signal almost, and then converting it to a digital signal. And they're only getting 4,096 steps per revolution of the servo mode. Right. Whereas a modern CNC machine might get a million. Oh, wow. You know, like, yeah, it's a really, really big difference. So the, the control upgrade actually doesn't replace the resolvers or anything. All it does is uses nicer analog to digital converters in order to get more resolution out of because it's an analog system the the resolution is effectively infinite if you can uh quantify it well enough on the digital side if that makes sense so they're using nicer analog to digital converters to convert that resolver signal into um uh, a digital signal with double the resolution, right? Which isn't crazy still compared to like you know a Makino F5 or or something like that. It, you know, those machines are programmed in like nanometers. You know, right. like you you can the the resolution they have is is bonkers. But I don't need that. I just need it better. Right. <laughs> you know? That would be sick. So, but yes, 
oh, yeah, but I don't have $250,000 US to, uh, to throw at that. So. <laughs> well, we can at least go look I at them at CMTS. Oh, dude, if, if you catch me like licking it or something when the salesmen aren't looking, don't, don't <laughs> be surprised. Um, I definitely want to like play with something like, like, you know, the, like a control just to mm. get a, like, see what other controls are like. Um, but yeah, no, that's cool. Like it, it's, um, it seems like a no brainer. I mean, eight grand is not cheap, but if it's going to double your resolution, it could, even if it, it made that stair step area much like better, but didn't completely solve the problem. It would still be, you know, probably super uh, helpful yeah. for your production. Yeah, it would still save me a lot of manual labor. Mm-hmm. I mean, the next the next option is to there are other options, right? There's another control called the next gen control that's specifically designed again for fidals, um, and that uses a completely different like motion core. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to replace the resolvers with high resolution encoders and so on. Oh, okay, so it's a little um, bit more of an in depth. Yes, it's a it's a much much more serious like upgrade and it would be difficult to reverse it as well right um or i could go to something like uh centroid cnc they make like a standalone cnc control again um there are a lot of like retrofit options yeah interesting but the idea of something that's literally plug and play that i can return you know because if i buy something like the centroid where it's you know you have to set it up custom to every machine and so on if I tell them, oh, I'm not getting the surface finish that I want, they're going to be like, well, it's probably your machine. <laughs> yeah. You know, like your servos aren't good enough. Your setup isn't good enough, blah, blah, blah. Whereas these guys, it's designed specifically for the Fidal. They know the, you know, like the, the people in this company are actually, you know, descendants, like family members of the original people that owned the Fidal company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I tell them, oh, I'm not getting the surface finish I want, they're going to be like, okay. And they'll take it back, <laughs> you know. So that sounds like that is a very nice, yeah, low risk. Option. Yeah, exactly. Because if it does what you want exactly. it to do, then that'd be huge. It's worth way more than eight grand to me. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to do. Yeah. So yes, we'll we'll see. I'm gonna. I, I'm probably gonna push that to January mm-hmm. because of what I was saying before about the mortgage. I need to make sure that my uh, net income this year is as high as I can make it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, buying random shit doesn't help with that. So probably push it out to January, but that's fine. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Yeah. Um, so anything else new in the shop? Eh, nothing worth talking about. Nothing worth talking about. We can, we've actually got listener questions. We should get into those. So I just want to give a quick shout out. Uh, I don't know if you remember a couple of episodes ago, we had someone write in to tell us information about cutting ABS and cutting uh, cellulose. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So she's on Instagram. Uh, Her Instagram handle is farm chick engraving service. So if you want something engraved and you're in the States or wherever, um, just reach out to Laura on Instagram. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out because Last time she didn't have her business Instagram account associated with that. So sweet. Um, we also another quick shout out: Baltic Blades on Instagram uh, posted some stories during the week, uh, giving the XYZ.CNC podcast, which is us, and uh, me personally a shout out, which was very cool because he just got his new CNC machine, and it's running. It's a very cool like CNC router, like making handle scales. And it looked wicked. He gave us a shout out. So there's a shout out coming back. It looked very cool. So go um, 
check out his stories with that CNC machine if you want to see, you know, a beefy but affordable machine. It's really cool. Kick ass. Yeah. yeah. We also, see, we've been talking about Superglue as a fixture a lot, right? So um, we had a longtime listener, uh, Alexander Khan, write in uh, with some advice, which is just saying that if you're making parts out of metal and you can heat them with a torch, then you can actually use the heat from a blowtorch or a heat gun to release the superglue quite easily. Mm-hmm. If you just want to glue, you know, metal to metal, yeah. Than using superglue and tape. Clever. Yeah. So I haven't tried that. So use it at your own risk. But I have heard of other people doing it. Yes. Um, so we on un- yeah. we'll, we uh, sometimes have to pull frets out of guitars and we superglue mm. the frets in, and okay. you can get a pretty nasty eye toke of superglue, like. Eva- eva- I <laughs> yeah, evaporated <laughs> super glue, right. and that does suck. Uh, so mm. if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, bust out that badass move with the blowtorch, I would. I don't know. Maybe that just fucking would just eviscerate the super glue. But that's pretty. Who knows? So what do you do to up, heat up the frets without um, burning the wood? Do you like use a soldering iron? To heat we the do. Up or we use a soldering iron, which is tricky sometimes because mm. on a bound fretboard with the the fretboard edge or sides of the fretboard are, right. are bound in abs plastic they can melt so you, it's a it's a you i what i do is i put my fingers i put two fingers on on um like a finger on either end of the fret, fret and i right. heat it up along the middle and until i can't until my fingers feel hot and then i pull the fret right. so nice. if, I, if i can withstand the heat and the the abs usually can Getting some using all your senses, yeah. There you go, Luthier dot CNC. That's the new podcast that we're. <laughs> um, yeah, and so another pro, another question was uh, functional crafts on Instagram said, uh, "What SLA printer were you recommending in one of the last ep- episodes?" Um, so you actually saw this uh, resin printer when you were at my shop the other day. It wasn't running though. Mm-hmm. Um, the printer itself is the Elegoo Mars 2 Pro. Can you spell that? Elegoo? Uh, it is spelled E-L-E-G-O-O. Elegoo. It's one of those crazy Chinese company names, I think. Nice. Uh, the, so it's the Elegoo... Elegoo Mars 2 Pro. Nice. Um, so the Mars 2 and the Mars 2 Pro are basically the same machine, just the Pro has a, car- a built-in activated carbon filter, and the regular one doesn't. Um, I think there is also a difference that the build vat on the regular one... <coughs> oh, God, sorry. Okay, air compressor, a sneeze, sirens, cats. Yeah. This is a crazy episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think the regular Mars 2 also just has like a plastic build volume, um, whereas the Mars 2 Pro has aluminum build vats. So this is um, this so is a Mars resin Pro printer. Is like, it is, yeah, and it's a very inexpensive one. Like I think mine was like three hundred bucks. Yeah, I'm looking at Amazon. It's three ninety nine Prime. You can get it tomorrow. Mm. There you go. Um, so yes, those are uh, Canadian uh, shekels. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's honestly it's a very good printer. Um, the main issue for me is that I was buying it with the hope of being able to make end use parts. So 
I kind of bought it initially thinking I, I'm, you know, I'm going to prototype parts for a folding knife. And you know what? It, it did that. It was, it was pretty good. There was, the issue is I was printing a lot of very thin and small parts and the cleanup involved with removing supports would often kind of like destroy the dimensions that I was trying to test. Mm. So it didn't like, I got some like aesthetic prototypes out of that, but not necessarily functional ones. You know, I was kind of hoping for functional. So then I was like, okay, what else can I use this for? And I tried printing um, parts from my sheaves. I actually tried printing entire sheaves. Um, I really need to do a YouTube video about that. I've got like 25 3D printed sheaves. Oh, cool. Um, here, yeah. Different, like I've got SLA, so which is the resin. I've got SLS, which is uh, laser scented plastic. Um, I've got... What's your SLS printer? I don't have an SLS printer. Those are pricey. Oh, so you got um, this? Yeah, you like had somebody prototype this for you? That's correct. Yeah, I had cool. an like an outside agency print it. And the problem with it, honestly, is there's two issues with with the SLS prints. They look really nice, um, but when they wear, it kind of releases like powder. Right. I remember like, you saying this. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're like sheathing and unsheathing the knife, the the kind of lips of the sheath that hold the knife in place. Are kind of like letting all this powder go everywhere and then it just gets all over the knife and it looks like shit mm. you know which is not great optics the other issue is that it's super expensive you know like one sheath costs like 30 40 bucks to have printed um you know which i guess you can make it work if you really wanted to avoid the labor but it's mm -hmm. it's genuinely much less expensive for me to cnc like thermoform them and cnc machine them so um, but yeah, the, the quality of the resin prints is really, really good. It, it really is. Like, um, I was using uh, like engineering resins, which are designed to be tougher and stronger. Um, mainly the ones from a company called Soraya Tech. Um, so that's spelled S-I-R-A-Y-A. -A. Um, and they have an engineering resin called Blue, which is, um, you know, tough, but, but hard. Like it's pretty, pretty darn good but it's still not as strong as like a good FDM print, like a good, you know, hot glue gun style right. 3D print. Um, so yeah, like I, the parts that I was kind of hoping to use it for were the, the scout carry mounts um, for my sheaths, which kind of lets you carry the knife on your belt sideways. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm printing those on my shitty FDM printer. Um, at the shop, um, printing them in carbon fiber reinforced polycarbonate, which is a pretty bonkers material. Like it's very, very strong. Um, yeah. So it, it depends what you want to use it for. If you're going to use it for like, uh, you know, fit and feel kind of prototypes, fantastic for functional end use parts. Mm, right. I, I would be, I don't think it's quite there, unfortunately. Uh, what kind of FDM printer do you have? I have a, oh God, what's it called? Um, it is an Anycubic Cossel Linear Plus. Okay. And yeah. do you like it? Um, I would say it's a don't buy. Oh, interesting. What? It's okay. So it's what's called a Delta printer, which basically means that it has three linear rails ar arranged in a, a triangle with the rails oh. going vertical and then it moves those 
um, three kind of arms to move the the print head around the extruder. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is just that there's a lot of slop in that mechanism. It also means that the drive motor for the extruder has to be mounted remotely away from the extruder. So the part that's pushing the plastic filament is away from the part that's melting it. Okay. Um, and that's, so that system is called a Bowden drive setup. They're, they're kind of common, but they're not as good as a direct drive, like just having the extrusion motor mounted directly to the extruder. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it. Like if, if someone wants to buy an inexpensive FDM printer, like honestly, the Prusa printers, like the Prusa mini, they're kind of like the standard at right. this point, you know? Um, I am interested in then, getting one. I will say. Yeah. They honestly, they are fantastic because the material is really inexpensive. Like if you're buying like PLA, which is kind of the bread and butter uh, 3D printing material, you know, so I've used that for printing like little parts bins. You know, I, I wanted to get those um, like red plastic parts bins, but I had some like weird shaped drawers, like little tiny parts drawers that the bins wouldn't fit in. So I just printed some myself, you know, and they cost like 15 cents each <laughs> to print, wow. you know. And it's not like the ultimate strongest material, but it's more than strong enough for that application. Um, I actually have on the front of Vicky, on the front of my CNC machine, I have a, um, a caddy that's directly attached to the enclosure that holds my impact driver, two torque wrenches, screwdriver, and a couple of other things. That's all 3D printed in PLA. It's like you know, a couple of bucks worth of PLA. It's exactly what I needed. I just molded, molded up and modeled it up in fusion you know 10 minutes in fusion and then it took like eight hours or nine hours to print but <laughs> you just like you click print yeah. and you walk away oh man that's you know sweet. you don't have to make fixtures you don't have to do anything right so yeah a, a good fdm printer one that's like reliable and prints without you having to babysit it is an asset in any shop right. i would say like that's what i keep just being hearing. able to print little Little things here and there, even if it is stupid stuff like parts bins and and whatever, it just it's it's super helpful when you need something. You know, like uh, the I use these little stones to to hand sand all of my blades called mold polishing stones, and they're kind of uncomfortable to hang on to because they're small and sharp edged. So I just three D printed a little holder for it. You know, like, yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, it's it's super super helpful having that capability in a shop. I just want to, yeah, like I, I think I probably would figure out some good uses for it, but I also just kind of want to play with it. It seems fun. Yeah, it's totally. It, it they're really interesting compared to a CNC mill because they're very low stress. Mm -hmm. You know, if there if there is a crash or something, or the pot lifts off the build plate or whatever, nothing happens. Right. <laughs> you know, like uh, it's very hard to kill one. I think. You know, like. I've certainly tried with mine. I haven't managed. Um, what about the um, the S SLA printers? Are they any more fragile? Um, yes. Yeah, there are. So basically, in an SLA printer, in a resin printer, um, most of the ones at the moment, anyway, you have like an LCD screen that's underneath the build vat, and then you have the build vat. And the bottom of the build vat is um, this material called FEP. It's, it's almost like a drum like the head of a snare drum. It's that kind of like really thin, strong, stretchy plastic. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. 
Um, so if you have a build fail in a resin printer, what'll happen is the cured resin will be stuck to that stretchy plastic thing in the bottom. And you have to like get the cured resin off it without scratching the the like you know plastic sheet because yes. if you scratch the plastic sheet, then that little scratch will show up in every single three D print right. in the future. Um, you know if if you like spill the resin into the LCD screen or something, or in between the FEP and the LCD screen, and it cures there, then you've basically like killed your LCD screen. You have to replace it. Ooh. The LCD screen dies after 2,000 hours anyway when you have to replace it. Um, yeah, using a resin printer, and then, like, if everything goes well, you have to, like, take your parts out, you know, scoop all the goo off them, wash them in isopropyl alcohol, cure them, um, you know, cut the supports off. Like, resin printers have their place, especially if you're doing, like, miniatures or, like, sculpting work or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But they are definitely a lot more fussy than an FDM printer. Yeah, it seems like the FDM printer is the, the place to start for someone like me, who just wants to make little yeah. uh, widgets and such. You know, and the other thing is too that so FDM printing, like you know, there's no bad smells unless you're printing like ABS, and even then, in a workshop environment, like whatever, you're you're probably smelling worse stuff all the time. Um, the like PLA and ABS is like dirt cheap Mm -hmm. you know you can get a kilogram of pla for like 20 bucks like good quality on amazon probably (laughs) yeah so i mean there's a company in canada that i really like um just called filaments.ca and i just order all my stuff from them they have everything from like you know plain jane plas and abs all the way up to the carbon fiber polycarbonate that i'm using um and you know the price varies between like 20 bucks a kilo to like 150 bucks a kilo or, or even more. Like you can get some pretty crazy materials for FDM printers, but having that inexpensive, like, you know, 20 bucks a kilogram PLA means that like, you know, printing things like those little parts bins, it's, it's so inexpensive that like it, it genuinely competes with like buying cheap ones from like Amazon or, right. or whatever in terms of price, like, uh, you know, it, molded, uh, yeah, yeah, like little injection molded. Injection molded, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, that's pretty bonkers for like you know, custom made in your shop. <laughs> like, there's no other way to do that in your shop unless you have like an injection mold machine. And you're willing oh, to yeah. like, build a mold. That would be <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So yeah, they're they're very very cool. Um, I would definitely recommend like anyone that has a workshop, you will a hundred percent find a use for one. Yeah, well, I, I saw, so I wanted to make um, filter banks for the Haas, mm. uh, for the the control cabinet. Okay. So I ended up just magneting some filter uh, material to the back of the cabinet. Right. It works. But then I saw Jay Pearson made these little 3D printed magnet, sort of, uh, they capture the, the um, a sort of um, furnace filter. And right. magnet it to the back of the the cabinet. And I was like, oh, that so that's such a more elegant solution than my <laughs> just you know order some magnets on McMaster and yeah. But yeah, it's I mean it's crazy what becomes easy and practical. Yeah, 
when there's no labor involved in like actually fabricating the thing. No, and the design stuff would be fun. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, speaking of um, control cabinet filtering, if um, if you go on the Maritool website, they have a new product called Vellum. Ah, filters. I was looking into Vellum. That's what gave yeah. me the idea for the way I did it. I ended up just buying filter bank material from McMaster in in a roll. Right. Um, right. But so Maritools, because I was trying to, I was going to buy it um, on CNC Repair guy.com mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. but the shipping was really expensive. yeah cnc repairman yeah cnc right. repairman the stick figure guy yes yeah yeah so marital are, are a distributor of that stuff now and yeah it's a really clever idea it's like literally like a little roll of filter paper yeah um on like a, a kind of pull out dispenser and part of the dispenser goes over the top of your inlet and then when it's dirty, you just kind of pull it through more and then tear off the dirty bit and there's a fresh filter. It's great. It's super smart. Yeah. So buy one of those. Omari Tool, you've done it again. <laughs> uh, all right. I think one more listener question and then we're we're done for the day. Um, so you had uh, Rudolf Diesel service on Instagram write in saying that he wanted to clear the air regarding water jet. So in the past, I've said that I've tried water jet and I wasn't super happy with it. Um, you know, I was seeing a lot of taper and like not great. Is this for your, your like blanking out tolerances. your yes, knives? yeah, for blanking out knives. Um, and so he said, I own a flow brand five axis water jet that runs 94,000 PSI water Holy and I can shit. adjust for taper. It'll machine parts to a perfect 90 degrees with a tolerance of three thou at 36 inch distance, like a 36 inch thickness. Oh think, my God. 94,000 PSI. That's what bonkers. Yeah. 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 Uh, these types of water jets are all over the world. Mine will cut 18 inch thick material. So sorry. He must say when he says tolerance of three thou at 36, he means like, I guess, like if you cut a thirty-six inch long bar, he can hold three inch, right. three thou width along that. Seems pretty good. So you can cut eight inch material, cutting six inch thick. He can hold one thou tolerances with no draft, almost perfect ninety degree walls. Um, so yeah, I have heard of these machines before, but I don't know of that many companies that have five axis water jets. You know, like when when I talk to a company about getting knife blanks cut. They're generally, a th- you know, running a three-axis water jet. Mm-hmm. Um, Could you s- just and... search five-axis water jets, Toronto? I guess so. Yeah, I know that there's um, there's a company in the states called like O O2 Machining or something like that. They do a lot of work for knife makers, and I know they run a five-axis water jet. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to see some parts, like a comparison between three-axis and five-axis. It sounds like it's a lot more capable. Yeah. You know, like, for for me, when I was getting... So I was getting parts cut out of five thirty seconds of an inch thick, so uh, four millimeter thick A2 tool steel on a three-axis water jet. And I was getting um, striations in the in the parts. So, like, the, the cut edges were a little wavy. Right. They were also not perfectly 90 degrees, even at that relatively thin... Yeah, material, that's surprising. They, there was like definitely a noticeable taper. Um, 
the pinholes. I was having them cut pinholes, and the pinholes were like way off tolerance, and they also had like little tabs left inside the pinholes. That I think was a programming issue. They probably could have programmed it to you know overlap the cut a little bit and get rid of that. Um, but basically, you know, so I got all these nice, nice quote unquote parts from back from my three axis water jet place. And then I still had to do a bunch of finishing work on all those cut surfaces, mm -hmm. you know? So for me, it just didn't make any sense. Well, and now you're using um, it for work, work holding the, you know, you don't necessarily want a blank. No, exactly. I just want rectangles, mm -hmm. but you know, for another knife maker that is going to be like finishing everything by hand. Um, then like having blanks cut out on Waterjet can make a ton of sense because then, you know, you have three models, you get 20 of each of them cut out. You just have the stock there ready to start grinding on it. Um, and then you're going to clean up all the edges anyway, cause you're going to be grinding the edges to fit your handle scales and stuff. Like it does make a ton of sense in that case. Sure. Um, interestingly, I would say in that case, I'm not sure how much of an advantage of five axis Waterjet would be. Because you're going to be grinding all those surfaces anyway, right? You know what I mean. You're not needing so, to hold those yeah, high for, tolerances. Yes, but definitely, like if you're a machine shop and you want like really nice, you know, blanks out of like hard or thick material, then it sounds like a five-axis water jet, like what he's running, would be amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, because they can cut marble, they can cut steel and carbide, they can cut like all sorts of crazy shit on a water jet. Um, that's just not really possible to cut any other way. It's super cool technology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you said, 94,000 PSI. That's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. And it's it's kind of interesting. Like The way that they make some of these parts is actually by machining, uh, you know, so for like little vessels and stuff that are in the plumbing system that are supposed to hold that level of pressure. They like machine them or, um, you know, roll them and weld them. And then they actually fill them with even more pressure and like crush the steel. They actually like form and strengthen the steel. It's almost like um, cold rolling, but you're doing it with pressure. Huh. Um, I forget the, the name of the process, but like without that process, the, the, the parts won't even survive, you know, 94,000 PSI. Of yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Like, you know, we buy air fittings and they're, rated to like 300 psi now what they would actually yeah. hold i don't know but this is significantly more pressure yeah i mean usually those like class 150 class 125 air fittings their actual burst pressure would be like you know a thousand psi two thousand psi right it's not going to be ninety four thousand psi that's for damn sure um yeah and even like hydraulic fittings usually they're only rated to like five or six thousand psi so 94,000 PSI is bonkers numbers. Yeah, so cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's the end of our time together for this week. Okay. Well, I'm going to go do some Googling. I want to look at one of these five-axis water jets, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into a 3D printer. Oh, you absolutely should. Have a, have a look at the Prusa Mini. Um. I'll have a, a poke around and just kind of yeah. remind myself of the other options. Creality was another one I kept hearing. Yeah, the Creality Ender 3 is, is a very, very common um, first choice for sure. Um, 
I would say the the one of the really nice things about like the Prusa is that so especially with the mini, it just comes in like two parts, and you bolt the two parts together, and then you're good to go. They have their own slicer called Prusa Slicer that comes preloaded with, um, like all of the profiles for different materials. So you're like, oh, I want to print PLA. They've got a profile for that. I want to print it PLA fast or or really detailed right. or whatever. They've got everything set up in there, and you just print. You know, I I don't think that there are many, if any, other companies that offer that level of like out of the box experience. Um, certainly not at like an inexpensive retail price point. Like if you want, if you want to buy like a Mark Forged three D printer, right. you know they're seven grand and they have their own slicer and you like can't change settings because their settings work. Right. <laughs> you know you have to use their material, you have to use their slicer, and it just works. Um, no, this thing's like cantilever. So right? yeah, the Prusa Mini, like the yes, yeah, it's the. X-axis, I guess it is, is is like hanging out with one end of space. Mm. Um, which, you know, you and I are used to thinking about like CNC mills and woodworking machinery and stuff, and we're like, oh, that's not going to work. But like a 3D printer doesn't really have any forces right. acting on the extruder. Um, so, I mean, I've seen tons of prints off the Prusa Mini, and they look beautiful. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like... You know, they used to say back in the day, like, nobody gets fired for buying IBM. Like, if you were buying information technology, like computers and stuff for your company, you just, like, buy IBM laptops, buy IBM right. desktops, and you're not going to get fired. You know, it's going to work. Right? <laughs> That's kind of my thing with Prusa. Like, I'm recommending it to you because it works. you're not going to be sad. Right. It's just going to work. Um, it has a ton of really nice stuff built in. Like, the automated, like, the mesh bed leveling is really nice. It has an, a non-contact inductive touch probe for sensing where the bed of the machine is. Oh, cool. Um, you know, whereas like my printer, I have to like attach this stupid mechanical switch underneath the encoder and then it's kind of inconsistent. Uh, sorry, underneath the extruder. It's kind of inconsistent as to how well it works. And like one time I forgot to remove it before starting a print and crashed the machine. Oh. You know? Whereas, like on the Prusa, it just sits there next to the spindle, next to the extruder, all the time, and it's not in the way; it just works, you know. So, yeah, I mean, the difference between the Ender Three and the Prusa is basically price. Right. It's a little, um, It's like twice the price almost for the Prusa. For the Prusa Mini, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I would say the upsides on the Prusa Mini, though, they like they are really Prusa as a company are like really strongly committed to open source. They release like. Um, all of the designs for their printers, like the firmware, all sort like their slicer, everything is open source, and people can contribute from the community back to the the programs to their designs. Um, they really seem to stand behind their product. Like you can like live chat someone at Prusa and say like I'm having trouble with my printer, and they'll help you fix it. <laughs> you know, which is not that's not the case with like any other 3D printing right. company. Yeah. Really. That would be um, handy. Not unless you're buying like a five thousand dollar printer, right? Because I, I'll um, need the help. <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean, yeah. As I said, like I don't think you're gonna be sad if you buy a Prusa. Okay. Whereas the Ender Three is probably gonna be a bit more of an inconsistent learning process. Right. They're like very common printers. There's tons of information on them out there, but you will 
I think you'll pretty quickly get to the point where you kind of want to upgrade this or fix that, or you'll be like tweaking profiles and tightening stuff or whatever, you know, like, yeah, I don't know if that's the experience that you want. No. Uh, cool. Right on. Sold. Sweet. Well, next, next episode, I expect you to have a 3d printer. Well, sold in my head. I'm going <laughs> to just go buy it. <laughs> it. Just go buy it. Or you can buy mine, and I'll buy a nicer one. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right, everybody. Uh, lovely hanging out with you all, as always. And we will speak to you again next week. All righty. Cheers. Bye, everyone. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.